0: Welcome to episode 6 of the Out of Sight Sports Podcast. My name is Josh Davis and I'm here with Crawford Edwards and we're about halfway through the NBA season with the All-Star break approaching. Today we're going to talk about several teams that have an interesting road ahead of them and how we believe their seasons will unfold. With that being said, let's get into the news. Obviously this Tuesday the sports world was put into a frenzy as we heard the news of Tiger Woods crashing and immediately thought about the late Kobe Bryant, honestly in a way because it was just about a year after the accident, and we were just hoping that the worst hadn't happened, and honestly, I'm just so happy that Tiger's alive, and at this point, it's so much more than golf, and it's just Tiger's been such an inspiration to so many different people for so many different other reasons other than golf, and I'm just glad that he's still alive, and that I'm really praying for his family. But like with that being said, I've been like meaning to ask you this question because I know you can personally relate to this kind of injury, you know, because you've broken over fifty bones in your life with OI, right. the disease you have, isn't that correct?
1: That's right. Um over fifty breaks at least and two dozen surgeries.
0: Uh, but anyways, I was gonna ask you, um, what do you think about the future of Tiger Woods and his, him possibly making a return to professional golf, do you think that it is possible? And what do you think his timetable looks like for return right now?
1: Well, you do have to ask his doctor specifically, but in general, something like this, we're looking at least six to nine months. Uh, I've no doubt that he has everything it takes to get back to playing professional golf. We've already seen him come through so much. And if there's anyone who has a Mamba mentality in sports, it's Tiger Woods. So the spinal fusion he's had makes it really difficult to recover from this fracture in his leg anyway. Um, I also have a spinal fusion done uh, four years ago. It was the most painful and difficult thing I've ever gone through. But yeah, he's got he's got a broken tibia and fibula, so it's both bones in the lower leg, and. They put a rod in. I have rods in all of my long bones as well. Um, they put some plates and screws in to fix his ankle up. It was an open fracture, meaning the bone was through the skin, and I'm fortunately have never had to see my own bone before. So um, it doesn't look like he was uh, speeding, or we don't know. He you went. He go in to film something, I think, and it's. It's sad knowing his past and the DUI he got. This he's completely innocent in this case.
0: And then the comeback, and, you know. Yeah, the just,
1: comeback. I mean, do it all over again.
0: Yeah, after coming back here. and winning the Masters after it being so long, right. it's just.
1: He was just talking to Jim Nance this weekend about, uh, you know, getting an MRI on his back again, um, because it's causing him trouble again. He says, "I only have one back. That's." new attitude for from Tiger Woods, because in 2008, he played the U.S. Open with no ACL left and two fractures in his knee, and you could hear the crack of the bone when he was swinging his golf club back then. So, again, there's your mama mentality, but coming back from this by itself is very difficult. At 45 years old, with spinal fusion, I think he can do it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think if anybody can come back from this kind of devastating accident, it's definitely Tiger Woods. The man is tough as nails, and he's had such an unbelievable career up to this point and has overcome so many obstacles and means so much to so many different people for reasons so much more than golf. And he's truly an American hero in a way, and I had to address this situation. Crawford, you got anything to add before we shift to some positive news?
1: Yeah, I forgot, you know, the whole drama of what Tiger is facing right now besides the fact that he could have died, you know, thank God he didn't. And we all want to see him turn to call, but uh, he's undergoing a procedure very similar to Alex Smith went through, where the swelling is so intense in the leg after the surgery that what they had to do is quite literally cut the muscles open cut the skin open, where there's enough room for the swelling to happen. And hopefully that goes down and they can close that up. But that runs a big risk of infection, just like Alex Smith unfortunately suffered. And that, oh man, that that can kill you. Alex Smith was lucky not to have died from the infection, let alone be playing football again. So let's just pray for a few more days that Tiger didn't get any infections
0: and he can at least play golf with his son. Yeah, man, that's the least we can ask for. Um, you know, we're praying for the best right now. But anyways, our Atlanta Hawks were able to silently defeat the Boston Celtics, 127-112 to last night, as Gallinari dropped 38 points off the bench and nailed a career-high and franchise-record 10 threes. Trae Young added a solid 33 points and 7 assists, while John Collins posted a double-double with 14 points and 11 rebounds. This was a start-to-finish win that the Hawks needed after blowing Tuesday night's game against the Cavaliers, who had dropped 10 games in a row and aren't even playing Andre Drummond right now. Gallinari proved tonight that when his feet are set and when he has time to shoot, he is still a very capable catch-and-shoot knock-down shooter at the age of 32. The Hawks did a great job setting up Gallinari and passing him the ball in his sweet spots, especially Trey Young and Rajon Rondo. This is a massive confident boost that Gallinari needed. Because we all know he dealt with an ankle injury earlier this season and has not been himself. It was great to see the team help put Gallo in a situation to succeed, and that is exactly what he did, finding him with pinpoint passes all night long. We all know that Trey Young got snubbed of the All Star game, becoming the first player in 30 years to average 25 points and 9 assists in a season and not make the All Star game. It is just unbelievable, and I could go on and on about this. But like Trey said, We have a season to play and games to win, so we need to focus on that. Thoughts on this terrible snub, Crawford? How did the NBA get it so wrong?
1: Yeah, don't even get me started about the snub. It's really disappointing. What they should do is expand the rosters because there's more talent in in the NBA than ever. So why not just make room for that? It's the same system since I don't know when. Anyways, I want to go back to the game because I was shocked when I turned on the TV and the Second quarter, we were up so much, and I thoroughly enjoyed it because we played a complete game all the way to the end. At the end of the day, you had to start looking at, you know, why why are we struggling? And there seems to be one common factor, and that is coaching. And there's definitely some questions to be raised, but I think that's a discussion for another day. Anyway, I'm really happy how the Hawks played. I think that was more on the Celtics' just losing and playing a bad game, but, hey, we'll take the advantage of that. Uh, the game lost to Cleveland was so infuriating. Wide-open dunk allowed on defense, and then on the other end, Trey doesn't know what the clock is doing and can't get the pass and shot off before time expires. That's very frustrating.
0: To your point about the Celtics, um... Playing bad basketball, I mean, usually when teams have multiple All-Stars, they regularly dominate and handle their business. Like you think yeah. the Jazz, the Nets, and I mean the Lakers when they're healthy.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Maybe one of them shouldn't be an All-Star. If they had two All-Stars and they can't win like they should be, it doesn't really add up to me.
0: It really doesn't. And, I mean, Danny Ainge said last night that he's not going to blame his All-Stars yet, however. No. He said, I wish I had answers for you. I don't.
1: And also, I heard Brad Stevens say last night that it was on him, and I gotta agree. There are quite a few coaches in the league right now: uh, Coach Bud, Coach Pierce, and Brad Stevens, who I think are hurting their team more than helping
0: right now. Yeah, the Celtics have now lost three straight and have fallen two games under 500, and they have lost eight of their last 11 games and do not look like a good basketball team. Our next topic of discussion is the Miami Heat. After making an improbable NBA Finals run in 2020, the Miami Heat have hit a wall in 2021. Currently ranked number 8 in the Eastern Conference, the Heat's overall record is 15 wins and 17 losses. The Heat are currently on a 4-game winning streak with wins in 7 out of their last 10 games. At this point in the last year's Eastern Conference championship winning season, the Butler-led Miami squad was 21-8. And now his second year with the franchise, Jimmy Butler has come to embody what it means to be part of the heat culture. In an interview with ESPN's Rachel Nichols on The Jump, the team's undoubted leader addressed Miami's uncharacteristically poor play. Terrible. Just terrible. Butler said, Not the way that we want to play. Not the way that we're supposed to be playing. But it's okay, because we will turn it around. And like the saying says, better late than never. Despite the lackluster record, Butler has continued to put up the kind of stats we've come to expect from him. In addition to the defensive energy and intangible leadership qualities he brings to the court, the Heat's star small forward is averaging 19.5 points, 7.8 assists, and 7.7 rebounds per game. Butler is a fantastic player, but he's not exactly known for his ability as a scorer. What the Heat really need is an elite offensive talent. At this point in the season, not a single player on the Miami roster is averaging more than 20 points per game. Heat leading scorer Bam Adebayo comes closest with 19.6 points per game, with the next highest under Butler is Tyler Harrow with not 16.9 points per game. Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat will look to keep their winning streak going when they take on the Utah Jazz and Miami tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. A lot of people are saying the Miami Heat's final run was a fluke because they were in the bubble. Crawford, do you think that is true?
1: Not really. I mean, if you watch... The intensity they played with the heart and passion on both ends of the floor. I think it's pretty obvious that they they wanted it more than everyone else, including Buckley. Um so they yeah, whipped some they,
0: good teams, man. Yeah,
1: they played really good teams. And they, whipped them. They didn't they sweep the Bucks?
0: Uh, I think it was a gentleman sweep. I think it was five uh, one, What not it? Didn't the, didn't the Bucks yeah. win a game?
1: Yeah, how how courteous about uh, Tim Butler to like, give them a win like that. Yeah. I'm not humiliating. Giannis is
0: so good in the playoffs, isn't he? Oh, man. I know how you feel about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really thought he'd be a lot further ahead developed in this voted shoot by now when I first started standing him three years ago. But he's still a work in progress I guess.
0: <laughs> but anyway, so let's shift to the next topic. Alright, let's talk about last night's Lakers and Jazz game. The Lakers went into last night's game down two starters and the defending champions were blown out. 114-89 to 89 in a landslide of a game that just showed how much the Lakers have continued to struggle with the absence of all-star reserve Anthony Davis and starting guard Dennis Schroeder, who was sidelined due to health and safety protocols. The Jazz completely took it to the Lakers, leading by as much as 29 points at a point while handing the Lakers their fourth consecutive loss and the Lakers' fifth loss in the past six games since Davis aggravated his tendinosis and averaged the calf strain in a week, a week and a half ago against the Nuggets. Their only win is against the Timberwolves as well during this stretch, the worst team in the NBA. Crawford, how do you expect the rest of the season to fold out for the Lakers? And do you think it's time to panic? No, I don't think it's time to
1: panic, but I think it's definitely time to be sad because, you know, You know, get spoiled by Anthony Davis and having him, and now we don't. And we're starting to look like the 2018 Lakers again. And I watched almost every single of those games in LeBron's first year. They were not fun to watch. Uh, The inability to close in particular. Last night was kind of a nothing game to me. A lot of these early regular season games were nothing to me. Uh, you just don't really get to see how they stack up. Right now, it's, no one's playing better than the Jazz on both sides. No one's shooting the three ball. So they're a buzzsaw, and you do not want to run into that.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, as yeah. bad as the Lakers are playing, we need to give the Jazz more credit instead of focusing on what Los Angeles That's is right. doing wrong. Utah has won 15 straight road games, and according to StatMuse, the Jazz have won 22 of their last 24 games, 20 wow. of those wins by double digits. You know they have beaten they have beaten the Lakers, Clippers, Sixers, Bucks, Heat, and Celtics in the span of two weeks by an average of sixteen point seven points. They're bringing it to people right now, man.
1: Yeah, that's insane. But I'm pretty sure the Nets did squeak out a win against them, so that's interesting.
0: Yeah, the Nets yeah. are looking scary good right now. But Los Angeles is still third place in the Western Conference at twenty two and eleven. But the team is not playing like a team that is eleven games above five hundred. As we know, the Lakers were able to keep up with the Jazz in the first quarter, trailing 24-23, to before the Jazz exploded in the next two quarters, outscoring the Lakers 66-41 to to blow the game wide open. I was very disappointed in the lack of detail, attention, and effort that the Lakers showed last night, and that concerned me more than anything, to be honest. But ultimately, I don't think it's time to panic, because whether this team is a three-seed or an eight-seed, Anthony Davis should be ready for the playoffs. And last year, we saw what kind of damage these guys can do at full strength. Obviously, it wouldn't be ideal to get the eighth seed and play a team like Utah, who whipped them last night. But the biggest focus right now is having Anthony Davis at 100% for the playoffs. I think that Frank Vogel is a capable enough coach to figure this out and have the Lakers heading into the postseason in a good position. Guys like Marcus Oll and Wesley Matthews have not been that good for us this year, but I believe that they can turn it around and KCP and Alex Caruso will be able to elevate their games similar to how they did last year in last year's title run. Not that KCP or Alex are playing bad, but we've seen how huge they can be to the success of this team as Cobble Pope was literally our third scoring option in the playoffs last year. I'm not worried about this team because this is LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. We're talking about a team led by arguably the greatest basketball player of all time.
1: There's two things I know about betting. You don't bet against Tom Brady, and I didn't, in the Super Bowl. No matter what his age is, same thing with LeBron. Don't bet against LeBron. He'll get it done.
0: Great point. And next, we're going to shift our attention to the Mavericks. After an extremely slow start where they found themselves almost dead last in 14th place in the West, the Dallas Mavericks have won six of their last seven games and have scrapped their way into ninth place in the Western Conference. All-star starter Luka Doncic has been fantastic for the Mavericks all season and even better this month. Doncic is averaging over 31 points per game in 10 February games and has been unbelievably efficient while doing it. The Mavs continue to get better every game and have built much momentum over these last seven games. Crawford, how do you feel about the second half of the Mavericks season? Do you think that they will be able to get into the playoffs? What is their ceiling in your eyes?
1: Oh, absolutely playoffs. That's that's their floor right now. I think a lot like the Miami Heat, they've struggled with some injuries, like Christoph Porzingis being out. Um, it's the same way Jogic is out with the Heat, and so is Jimmy. And basically it's been all on Luca's shoulders, and he's done as well as he can. But he, even he says that he's not playing well. So if he's saying that, then he knows he has so much more to give. And I think that's really a inspiring and humble, such a young star like him to say that. You know, despite these numbers, I don't think
0: I'm playing well. That's incredible. Yeah, it really is, because it ultimately shows what his focus is. And his focus is winning. And if he's not winning, he doesn't think he's playing good. And, I mean, that's the kind of mentality you want out of any player. I mean, that's just unbelievable. I mean, that's just some good stuff right there, man. But as far as the
1: ceiling, if you had to ask me, I would say fifth seed, second round. I think they can go off an upset and get in the second
0: round. I think that's a good prediction. And, by the way, to everyone listening, these numbers might change because the Mavics are actually playing the 76ers as we're recording right now. So, yeah. Next, we're going to talk about the Clippers. We're just about through the first half of the season, and the Clippers have been looking pretty dang good, if you ask me. The Clips are currently 23-10, and 10, good for second in the Western Conference and half a game above their city rival Lakers. With that being said... They have faced the ninth-hardest schedule so far, according to ESPN's metrics and data, so these are quality wins, too. The schedule gets much easier, and they actually have some easy home and road stretches where they should win out. The second half of the season will be a big test for the Clippers. That should show a lot about this team. I think this team will be dangerous come playoff time. What do you think, Crawford?
1: Yeah, the Clippers scare the hell out of me, honestly. When Kawhi and Paul George first teamed up, I've always been scared since for the Lakers. Uh. You know, they got lucky that it ended up being that they blew their own lead last year and that they essentially dodged the Clippers in the Western Conference playoffs. But they did face a really tough Nuggets team. And as far as the Clippers, they're really a head scratcher. They don't seem to play with a lot of offensive consistency. And I can't quite figure out why.
0: What do you think, Josh? Yes, I mean, honestly, based on the schedule that the Clippers have played, I do think that they are a legitimate threat. And there is one concern there, like you said. It was their offensive efficiency, like you are saying. But this team has been a defensive-minded team for the last two years heavily because, I mean, you look at guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, those are arguably two of the top five perimeter defenders in the NBA when they can be or when they're – At their best. And then you look at a pest like Patrick Beverly. And, I mean, Serge Ibaka can still block shots too. And, I mean, he's a good kind of pest. He's the kind of pest when he's on your team. You love him. But when you're playing against him, he's just – you hate him. You can't stand him. But he's the kind of – you need that kind of energy from somebody. you got to have that kind of hype man. And he does a great job with them. He's a dog. I mean – really you know since the clippers schedule is getting so much easier this um this second half of the season we're just going to have to really see if they can stay focused you know like for like an april game against a bottom of the league team like minnesota or something like yeah. are they going to be able to stay focused and execute or are they going to mess around like or are they going to repeat the same mistakes they made last year and underestimate a really good team and end up blowing a 3-1 lead and embarrassing themselves and getting clowned pretty much all year and still to this day for that. Yeah, that would be um, great if
1: they get clowned again in my personal opinion, but I just don't see it. I think that
0: they've learned from their mistakes. Yeah, I think (laughs) that they've learned from their mistakes.
1: (laughs) Exactly. How do you mess up one time but to do it twice? That's beyond me.
0: Last but not least, Embiid or Jokic.
1: Well, no one should take this question very lightly at all because those are two of the best players in the league, two top 10 players. And I think the MVP races, you're going to come down to those two people. Personally, I'm going to pick Jokic because I just like that style of play. I really like how he gets his teammates involved. And it's just, he's a fun guy. It's, so is the beat. The beat's hilarious. But it's just someone I find myself rooting for.
0: Yeah, those are all very valid points, but I'm going to go with Embiid, honestly, because the Sixers are 8-1 and one in the nine clutch games he has played, while the Nuggets are 4-7. and seven. And Embiid is dominating on both ends, while Jokic just averaging nearly a triple-double, so it is very close. But like I've probably told you already this year, Embiid is my MVP favorite right now because um, he's number one in player efficiency rating at 31.80 and... Jokic is actually right behind him at 30.98. So, like you said, you still have a very valid point with Jokic, and it's right there. It's neck and neck. I think you can go either way. This is a topic that people have many different opinions on and thoughts and feelings on. So, it's a hot topic in the NBA right now. And, I mean, these two guys are really in the front running, front runner for the MVP, and they're carrying their clubs this year. I mean, a team can't go wrong with either. But they would have to require different supporting casts. You you would have to put different guys around Jokic than you would around Embiid, clearly. But anyways, it's going to be a good MVP race. And I think those two are the top two right now. And that's really interesting because we haven't seen an MVP from the center position since Shaquille O'Neal.
1: That's right. And you cannot discount how important player efficiency is in this voting because it's all a media vote anyway. They look at things like these numbers, and player efficiency is probably the single best statistic you can determine stuff like MVP for. Because it rounds up all sorts of things that you do on the court. And last year, Giannis had a record-setting season of player efficiency. He became the most efficient player to ever play a season of basketball in the NBA. Above Will, Michael, Jordan, Kareem, you name it, he had... Incredible season last year. And I think he can win a third one, but right now there's voter fatigue, as it's called, and I just don't see him winning it uh, this year. Maybe they'll give it to LeBron because of the 18th season, but with A.B. out, I think it's going to be too hard for LeBron to really make an argument for MVP.
0: Yeah, as the Lakers' record drops, unfortunately, no matter how good LeBron plays, his MVP case will drop as well. And that's a wrap for episode six. Thanks for joining us today. Our thoughts and prayers are with Tiger Woods. You got anything to add, Crawford?
1: I'm really liking how the NBA season's unfolding despite COVID. I know it's not been perfect, but it's been really fun to have basketball back. Such competitive basketball. It's been a lot of fun. There's a lot of uh, parody in the league right now. We don't really know who's going to win what. And I'm excited to see how the second half rolls out.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited to see the second half of this NBA season unfold. But anyways, everybody who's listening, have a great night and we'll catch up next week.